Hello and welcome to OU's Nach Yomi. You can find this year posted at ouradio.org.nach or on my website, ericlevy.com, under the recording section. Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy. I'm pleased to bring to you Chapter 10 of the Book of Daniel. Chapter 10 begins a f- the fourth and the final of Daniel's apocalypses. Chapter 10 is essentially, its prologue, Chapter 11, is the body of the apocalypse, and chapter 12 is its epilogue, and that essentially ends the book, that does end the book. Bishnat shalosh l'choresh melech paras, davar nikla Daniel asher nikrashmo belte shatsar, ve'emet ha'davar, ve'tzava gadol, uvinet ha'davar, uvinalo bar-mar-eh. In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a word, really this pro- prophecy, this vision containing a very a matter of great importance, was revealed to Daniel, who was known as Belteshazzar, and the matter was true and a great host, which I'll get back to later, and he had to understand the matter, and it was up to him to understand the vision. The wording here is very circuitous, it's hard to say exactly how the last part translates, but more or less, um, that's the sense of it. Um, we, the, one question that, that you might ask is, why do we have to say that the words are true? I mean, isn't that the assumption that a vision or a prophecy is true? So perhaps it's because it's a far future prophecy. Indeed, it's a messianic prophecy. And over the course of time, especially a long period of time, things tend to change and the accuracy needs to be reaffirmed. Reaffirmed. Um, in fact, the words vitzava kadol, which have caused a great deal of exegetical ink to be spilled, is translated by Rav Sajagon as an Aramaism. It comes from the Aramaic word savi, which means a great truth in this case, which means it's true, and then it kind of slips into Aramaic and says it's really, really true. Um, this may be a good time to point out something about Rav Sajagon. When I cite Rav Sajagon, quote Rav Sajagon, it's not the Rav Sajagon who appears in your Mikrot Gedolo Bibles, which are among the most popular Hebrew with commentary Bibles. Um, that commentator in the, in, in the Mikrot Gedolos is apparently an unknown, albeit a very good medieval French commentator. Uh, some of Sadiqon's actual material has been recovered, and more of it is available via citations and quotes from the Ibn Ezra. Obviously, Ibn Ezra's citations and quotations do not match the words of the pseudo-Sajigon, which is found in your Makro Kadalot. Getting back to the translation, another possibility for the difficult Vitzavagadol means something that is numbered. Uh, for instance, an army is called an army is called Tzava because it has a numbered, regularly fixed amount of uh, soldiers. It could also be used for a fixed amount of time, as it is in the early in the Book of Eov. So the meaning here might be that the prophecy extends out a great many, albeit a fixed number, of days or years. One other possibility of that difficult phrase is that the prophecy is being either backed up by or communicated through a great heavenly host, a tzavagadol. However, here we only meet one and we, uh, and the one refers to just another. More notable about this opening verse, rather than just focusing on the slightly difficult translation, is that it takes place during the third year of Cyrus's rule, which is significant for two reasons. First, that would that would take us to 536 BCE, which is exactly 70 years after the prophecy of Jeremiah promising the end of the Babylonia, Babylonian Empire and a return to Zion. Uh, the good news is that Cyrus did, in fact, declare that all the exiles could return home, and he allowed members of the Davidic dynasty to escort Jews back to Jerusalem to, and to rebuild it along with the temple. The bad news is that by this time in his third year, 
there was so much local pressure, as is as is recorded in the book of, of Ezra. Essentially, there was an intifada, um, and it was accompanied by letters sent to Cyrus from those accusing Jews of rebelling against him. So Cyrus withheld material and political support, essentially canceling any further building. In fact, it wasn't until Cyrus's son Darius that the um, that the temple that, that it's Darius the first that the, that the temple got restarted. Um, and that it was de- dedicated. Although, as I said previously, it would take another hundred years until the time of Ezra for the nation to really take form and for the temple to really become functional. It is never stated explicitly, um, but this turnabout by Cyrus may have driven Daniel to the sorrow, which is what we will now see in verse 2. By Amimahim, Ani Daniel, Hayiti mit Abel Shilosha Shavuim Yamin. In, I, it was in those days, and I, Daniel, was in mourning for three weeks of days. Now, it specifies three weeks of days because it's different from than the weeks of years that we had in the previous prophecy in chapter 9. Although Rashi actually disagrees and says that, that he was actually mourning for three years. However, that doesn't seem to be the plain sense of the text, neither the text itself nor the context. Lechem chamudot lo achalti uvasar v'ayayin lo va'elpi v'soch lo sachti ad milot shiloshet shabuim yamim. For a full three weeks I ate no desirable bread and neither meat nor wine entered my mouth and I did not anoint myself, anoint myself with salves. The reference to lechem chamudot, which is interesting because Daniel Cole is called an ish chamudot, uh, in the previous chapter as well as this one, it seems to indicate that Daniel was uh, on a series of daytime fasts, which means fasting only during the daytime hours. At the end of the day, rather than having a big feast, um, as is common in, in some uh, cultures that fast for extended periods of time, uh, he stuck to water and a kind of coarse-grained and improperly sifted bread to break his fast. We are about to find out when this fast took place, and it's troubling, it's uh, surprising. It's not during what we would now call the three weeks, because that would be an anachronism. The 17th of Tammuz, where we start our modern three weeks, is really a second temple date, not really known in the first temple time. On the 24th of the first day of the month, and I was by the great river of the Tigris. So a few surprises here. First and foremost, Daniel is fasting during Passover. Perhaps Daniel felt that there was no call to celebrate the prototypical exodus um, out, of, uh, out of exile when the current and larger exodus out of exile was falling apart. Perhaps he felt it was a matter of life and death that he pray and mourn uh, to, uh, to allow Cyrus to continue uh, his support of Israel. Uh, Esther certainly thought so, and, and she seems to get involved in some fasts in, some, uh, in, in, in a similar time. In any event, there is no question that the month of, that this month, the first month of the year, is the month of Nisan. Months in the Bible, it's important to notice, are always counted from the national new year, which coincides with the exodus from Egypt. They are always in Nisan. The second surprise, however, is that the Great River has always been the Euphrates up to this point, not the Tigris, and this is called, the Tigris is being called the Nahar Gadol. Perhaps that, that the primary river is being changed, uh, when the Persian Empire rose to power, since the Tigris is closer to Persian territory than is the Euphrates. However, however, the Tigris is still well within Babylonia. The Tigris runs past modern-day Mosul, which is ancient Nineveh, and continues north into Al Jazeera. But you wouldn't really say that uh, that it's uh, you know inside 
uh, Persia proper. In any event, the Chidekel, the Tigris, is one of the two rivers that defines Mesopotamia. Uh, the word Mesopotamia in Greek means between the rivers. It seems that Daniel is actually by the river. He's not having a vision at this point. Um, he's physically by the river, and that's the place where he has his vision. Verse 5. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a distinctive man. Ishachad doesn't really mean a single man. It means a distinctive man, dressed in linen, and his loins were girded with fine gold from Ufaz, which is a country. The linen that he's wearing is reminiscent of a priest doing services in the temple. And the girded loins were called a man who is prepared for for battle. It is possible that this is Gabriel, who is famous for, well, the reason why he's called Gabriel is from the word Gibor, or powerful and mighty. Um, So this may be the same Gabriel who has been Daniel's usual angel up to now, although he's not ID'd in this chapter. And while he takes the shape of a man, it's clear that the ne- from the next verse that he is not at all human, and we will soon see why he is girded up for battle. And his body was made of Tarshish, which is one of the stones of the Choshen. It's thought to be aquamar- uh, an aquamarine-colored stone, like beryl. Uh, Tarshish is also the name of one of Yavan's children in Genesis 10. That is one of the the, the, the nation, though, the person who would later uh, start the Greek nation. But I don't think that the angel is trying to remind us of uh, of Greece, uh, as we will see. He is no friend to Greece at all. Returning to the verse, his face was like the appearance of lightning, and his eyes were like fiery torches, and his arms and legs were similar in appearance to burnished bronze. And his words sounded like the noise of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, since the men who were with me could not see the vision. And a great trembling befell them, and they ran away to hide, which means they couldn't see anything, but they felt it. According to the Talmud Megillah, these were the last three of the prophets, Chagai, Zechariah, and Malachi. What they were doing there with them, why they were not able to see the vision, is not completely explained. I suspect that there's more to that Midrash than meets the eye than just to explain that they were on a tourist trip with uh, Daniel. Um, Thus I remained alone, and I saw this great vision, but no strength remained with me, and my splendor, hodi, which is like the word that we've had up to this point in ziv, which really means the shine of one's face when one is happy and healthy, my splendor became like destruction. So I guess... He had like a death mask. And I could not contain my strength. The word atsar means to stop or to gather. So the image is one who is not able to gather up strength into himself. Verse 9. And I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I passed out on my face. And my face went to the ground. The repetition uh, on both ends of this verse, gives the sense of an immediate response to the angel's attempt to communicate to the vision. That is, the minute he heard those words, plop, he went right down on the ground. Um, this happened to Daniel the last time he was given a far future eschatological, eschatological apocalypse as well. That is, the last time he saw this far future apocalypse. 
in the previous chapter, and we'll see how it differs a little bit this time. And behold, a man touched me and animated me. He moved me until I came to my hands and my knees. Um, the last time, one touch was enough, but we'll, as we will see here, it is not enough. Uh, perhaps because this vision is greater than the previous one, and perhaps because Daniel is three years older, and, and in any event, he's a very aged man. However, one gets the feeling that Daniel is being metaphysically, not physically, overloaded. Vayomer Eli Daniel ish chamodot havein badvarim asher anochi dover elecha vamod alom decha kiatash shulachti elecha uvedabero imi et adavar azeh amarati marid and. He said to me, Daniel, precious man, Ishchamodot, comprehend these words that I speak to you and stand on your feet because I was sent to you. And as he spoke those wor- that word to me, I stood trembling. Once again, it seems that Daniel's religious supplications, in this case his three weeks of fasting, caused the angel to be sent. That's why the word Shulachti is in the passive. It, it automatically causes him to be moved. Perhaps we could add to our understanding of Daniel a little bit um, more than just that he is a precious man in each chamotot, from the way the bread was described as chamotot, that is pure and without any contamination. And he said to me, Daniel, don't be afraid. Remember, Daniel is trembling probably within an inch of his life. Indeed, from the first day that you set your mind on understanding and to fast, I'll explain what that means in a second, to afflict your uh, to afflict yourself before your God, your words were he- heard, and I came in response to your words. Um, I think what it means that Daniel was trying to understand, and not just fast, is he was trying to understand how Cyrus could have so quickly um, withdrawn material support from the, fred- from the fledgling return to Zion, which was explicitly predicted by Jeremiah. That is, its success was explicitly predicted, and all of a sudden things have turned around. V'sar malchut paras omeid l'negdi, the angel continues to talk, esrim v'echad yom, v'nei Michael achad asarim arishonim ba'la ozreini v'ani notarti sham eitzel malchei paras. However, an officer of the Persian Empire stood against me for... 21 days, Esrim Ve'echad Yom, and behold, which would be, of course, the three weeks that he's been fasting, he's essentially been delayed. And behold, Michael, one of the primary officers, came to my aid until I remained there by the kings of Persia. Va'ani notarti sham eitzel malchei paras. Kings of Persia apparently means the officers, the, these angels that represent the kings of Persia to come. The last part then would either mean that he will also be fighting alone the rest of the angels representing the future kings of Persia and not just the current one, the angel of Cyrus. Um, of course, this is where we get the idea that every nation is represented by an angelic officer who works for their causes. Usually, Jewish philosophy is, uh, or theology, is that the exception is Israel. That is, all the other nations have an angelic representation, and Israel is given direct stewardship under God. What's interesting is here, it, it appears that God commissions angels still to do uh, Israel's service. And as we will see, this book seems to describe a certain amount of intermediateship uh, between God and his people in the form of the angel Michael. We'll see that in a little bit. So what's happening here, maybe, is that this angel, maybe Gabriel, wanted uh, wanted 
to answer David's prayers immediately, or that not so much that he was wanted, but that he was sort of compelled to answer David's prayers immediately as a response to his very fine and chamudot worship. But Persia's heavenly representative engaged him in battle, which explains why he is girded up, uh, his loins are girded up with the gold. Um, why? It's not clear. Maybe Persia's angel didn't want Daniel to get the message. Uh, but whatever it was, the struggle was so difficult that the angel couldn't disengage. Um, and even when he got some backup from Michael, and he was for long enough to deliver this apocalyptic uh, uh, vision, which we'll see in these next few chapters, it seems that he will have to go back to do more battle against the rest of the Persian angels that represent the rest of the Persian kings. Uvati et And I came to bring you understanding of the things that will happen to your people in the end of days. And here I'm translating Bakarita Yamim, not just latter days, but end of days. Indeed, he says, there is another vision for those days. The, the last is a very rough translation of Kiod Chazon Yamim, but I think what it indicates is that there is more to the vision than Daniel saw in the previous chapter. That is, the previous chapter only extended 490 years till the latter days of the Second Temple. So maybe Daniel thought that that was it. So what's being said here is, no, there are still visions, there's still information that you do not have. Verse 15 says, and as he spoke with me words like these, I put my face to the ground and was struck dumb. Dumb meaning speechless. Um, literally speechless, not just like we would use the expression today. Uh, apparently the vision was simply too great to bear. And behold, the one with a figure of a man, it's a description, Kidmut Bnei Adam, this angel, touched me on my lips and I opened my mouth and spoke. Remember that he was struck dumb, unable to speak. And I said to the one standing in front of me, O Master, due to the vision, my guts, my insides are twisted inside of me and I am able to retain no strength. Notice that he describes the angel standing before him, Ha'omed Lenegdi, much like the angel described standing against the angel in his battle against uh, the Persian uh, uh, angelic proxy. So why use the word Omed Lenegdi here when we wouldn't seem to have a battle kind of formation and back then in a, in a military sense? So perhaps he's, what Daniel's saying is that receiving a vision like this is like being taking on like the full force of an, of an attack, especially since this type of vision seems to bring a, a lot of bad news news. Um, so, how can this servant of my master, meaning me, you are my master, this angel anyway, for the time being, speak about these things or this thing with my master, and from now on, no strength sustains me, and there is no more breath within me. So essentially, Daniel is saying that I simply cannot do it. I can't, I can't receive a prophecy like this. And if you tell it to me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a step away from death, and that's what's going to happen to me. Daniel thinks he's going to die if he is forced to deal with this vision. So the angel tries again. Verse 18. Vayosef vayigabi, kimar'a adam, 
So once again, he touched me, this one who looked like a man, that's a title, Kimara uh, Adam, and he strengthened me. And he said to me, don't fear, O precious man, peace will be with you. Be strong, be strong. Uh, the Malbim says, be strong of body and be strong of mind. And again, if we, if we connect that idea of the fact that the bread was chamudot, which is a very strange term for bread, meaning that it's not full of contaminants, uh, so maybe here too, the idea of chamudot is not just precious or desirable, but so pure that he's convincing Daniel that he is able to handle this prophecy. In fact, he's the only one who can handle this prophecy. And as he spoke, or this, or this vision, as he spoke with me, I became strengthened, and I said, my master, you have strengthened me. Vayomer hayadata lama bati elecha, vata ashuli lachem sar paras vani ba. And he said, don't you know why I came to you? And now I will return to make on, make war on the officer of Persia, and I will go out, which me, and the officer of Greece will go in. A difficult verse, but I think it means that even though I'm going to win the battle against Persia, I will then have to go out to another war as the Greeks enter the field of war. But now he has to answer the question that he asked at the beginning of the verse, which is, Hayadata Lamabati, do you know why I came? So I think the next verse is the answer. But, getting back to the reason why he came, I will tell you that which is inscribed in true believable script, even though no one will empower me or fight alongside me, other than Michael, who is your officer. The truth that he speaks of is probably the words that will follow in the next chapter when he gets into the body of the apocalypse, the body of the eschatological vision. But I'm not sure what the sense is of explaining that Michael is the only one helping him against the Persian and Greek representatives. Perhaps he means that while the truth will not be pleasant, and the Jewish people will be living largely on their own, that is, they won't have help from the outside, just like their representative. He will tell Daniel the future, the body of which comes in the next chapter.